Welcome to The Upload. I'm Allison Bektesh. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're well. This week, happy ski season. SkiCo opens a day early and with extra terrain. It's our first glimpse into what a pandemic ski season can look like. If we want a clear picture of anything else, though, we're out of luck. There's a lot of confusion right now. Picking County is hovering between state-sanctioned categories that restrict occupancy and hours of businesses. Some metrics show things will be shut down further by the end of this week. Other numbers are tracking okay. That and more coming up on The Upload. Welcome to The Upload. I'm Allison Bektesh. In order to fill us in on all that has happened over the last weekish, I'm joined by our editor, Megan Tackett, and reporter, Matthew Bennett. Hi, both. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. The mountain opens tomorrow. Ski season launches one day early. Uh, we found this news at the very end of last week. Uh, so Skiko, Skiko opened the hill a day early. I mean, at this point, if it's not going to be ready Wednesday, that, that's probably a problem being that they were supposed to open Thursday, of course. Um, but partially because that'll give hopefully our eager locals a head start on the season. So anyone who was planning on coming up for opening day or opening weekend knew that the mountain was going to open on Thursday. Now we have this last minute quickie. It's actually going to open Wednesday. So hopefully it'll be mostly locals out there. Are, are you going to be up on the mountain? I'm definitely going to be up on the mountain. <laughs> I'm going to find a way to be up on the mountain. <laughs> Wonderful. So that decision speaks to so many things that we're going to keep our eye on as ski season rolls out, including last minute changes and ba just balancing people, right? So not only are they opening a day early, so we have more time, they're opening more mountains than ever before for an opening weekend. So we have more distance. And the idea is to get everybody who wants to go skiing spread out as much as possible. Yeah. And, you know, I thought that was probably, and I think I've told you this off air too, when I was reading your brilliant breaking news coverage that, uh, that arrived on that. Um, but I thought it was really interesting to hear spokesperson Jeff Hanley tell you, listen, it's going to be up to nature, right? Like so many things with a pandemic, it's going to depend on what is our snow season going to look like. If there's plenty of snow and plenty of terrain, then we'll have plenty of acres to spread people out. But if that doesn't happen and we're limited to our own, you know, man-made snow, which they've upped the operations top to bottom, fabulous. I was just talking to some gentlemen the other day who before Skiko shut down skinning, were saying how glorious the conditions up top at both Ajax and Snowmass are for this time of year. And wow. so don't let the 50 degree spring weather fool you that we've been having. Um, they, they assured me that it was really, really pretty pristine up there, all things considered. Um, but if that's what we're limited to, then that's when we're going to have to start considering the dreaded reservation system and things of that nature. So I just thought that you infused a lot of nuance into an otherwise big, exciting announcement that I really appreciated. <laughs> It was interesting how much was re revealed that day. Um, there had been um, news the day prior, and I, I believe a, a community meeting after the Board of Health meeting, where CEO Mike Kaplan said something about, well, you know, reservations aren't, aren't off the table. You know, like, so the news before, before we found out that we were opening a day early was, 
oh my gosh, Geekos doing this bait and switch. They're going to, they're going to install a reservation system right as your ability to get your full refund is closing right that Friday. Um, I will, one caveat right there is that if the mountain closes, you get your, you get a prorated refund that has been stated. Skiko has confirmed that we've reported that. So I, my, my feeling is kind of like, it's not that much of a bait and switch. You still get a, if, if we close tomorrow, that's a full refund. Obviously if we close next month, that's a partial refund, but it's prorated. So you still have the chance to get your money back. So I thought that narrative was a little off that people were like, well, this was my last chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the reservation system as Jeff Hanley, the vice president of communications over there explained to me, it's, um, it's, I think it's going to prioritize locals wherein they know how many people they will accept for the whole day on, depending on the terrain that's open. And if you're a local and you want to ski, you go on your app and you mark that you want to ski. It's probably a good idea to do it a couple days ahead of time, right? I'm going to ski Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week. Uh, if, if they see that all the locals have reserved that day, they're not going to sell any more tickets. So in my mind, it's actually going to default to the people who are here and ready to ski and can Mm -hmm. click that button with full, you know, confidence that they really will be going to the mountain. Right. I I don't know what the consequences though, for like, if you book a day and don't show up or have a habit of that, you know, just like if you're a local and you can go on and and book a million days, just in case, I'm sure Mm -hmm. there's going to be some way to to get around that. But it does seem like if you know, you want to be skiing um, and you have that full pass, you'll be able to be skiing. It was also funny that Jeff, um, Jeff Hanley said they didn't even know if they were going to open for Thanksgiving up to the last minute. So as you mentioned, it's been very warm here um, and no snow. So not only is nature not producing snow on her own, she's also not producing the conditions for us to fake snow. You know, the guns themselves don't do anything if when you shoot the water out, it's not cold enough for that to crystallize into snow. So it was actually right on the edge there to even open on time. And now we hear that we get to open a day early like everything this year everything is very dramatic news can change uh, make a complete 180 in 12 hours time you know and then of course two days after they make the announcement that they're um, going to be opening early and we published that then the very next day after it was in print anyway I'm finding out oh wait so we're doing this but guys cool it on the uphilling. We can't open early if, you know, we're risking plowing uphillers down with our snow cats. So they had to close uphilling until the 29th. Right. And I think that too, it's going to be through the SkiCo app, the Aspen Snowmass app you can get on your phone. I think that's something people should check every day. The, the way they explained it in that community uphill meeting was that that is going to be um, more than ever. You might see uphilling closed around here and yeah, partially for the safety, partially for just keeping that social distance on the mountains, less people on the mountain on those busy days. I just think it's so interesting too, because I wonder, you know, we've always had active uphillers, I guess, because it's this valley. So you always have the go-getters, but because of the pandemic and because we got shut down early, we do have an influx of people who last spring got into uphilling for the first time and have their skins and have their setup. So why not take advantage of it now, you know? And the, the, all the people who were frustrated that there wasn't a pass that really spoke to them. You know, if they work Monday through Friday, there's not a good of that, like two day flex weekend pass anymore. Um, so I think a lot of people were like, well, I, I can, I know how to save $1,800. I'll just walk my butt up the mountain. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. Of course we're talking about this kooky year because the coronavirus pandemic hit worldwide we're going to move on to COVID-19 as the next, next subject on the upload here. 
specifically, Matt, help me out here. What public health order are we under right now? And I, and I mean that by the actual title, which I think is something silly, like orangey red or orange plus, and what does it mean? Yeah, it almost sounds like a carbonated drink, orange crush. It's orange plus though. Um, and basically the county right now is currently, to answer your question, Allison, it, it is in the orange um, level, which essentially reduces businesses to that 25% number, um, you know, restaurants, offices, gyms, the critical and non-critical retail though does get to stay at 50%. However, Pitkin County's um, Board of Health specifically took it upon themselves to go a little bit above and beyond that um, orange level. There's, there was quite a few unanswered questions going in to that Board of Health meeting. For example, County Manager John Peacock asked the Executive Director of CDPHE, you know, will y'all move us to the red? Uh, will y'all do that? Or is that something kind of weird? Like, yeah, that's, that's cool. We'll do that on our own. And she was, she was very clear. No, we'll, we'll move you to the red. Um, you know, she had a, a line that was very telling. And she said, with your metrics, I imagine that I will be here again in, you know, eight days talking about the county will need to move to level red due to where the metrics sit, unfortunately. So keep in mind that was last Thursday. So eight days from that would put us on Black Friday. So I also reached out to the county manager, John Peacock, this morning concerning uh, this new orange plus level. And he said they were going to have a meeting this afternoon to talk about the affidavit, but that likely wouldn't be ready probably until December. So it begs the question of, are they just at this point preparing to go into that red? That's inevitable. Red Friday instead of Black Friday this year. Well, it <laughs> sounds like there's three things that the state health board looks at to dial us up on the, in this, these categories, we're not doing great with our incidents. You know, we, we keep getting people testing positive, but the percentage of people who are testing positive isn't um, quite concerning yet. And Megan, as you reported, our hospital has actually looked good throughout. And that's the third metric. Are we getting um, scarce on hospital beds? Cause that that's big time bad, right? But um, though we are seeing that here on the Western Slope, you reported that Aspen Valley Hospital feels prepared for whatever this next surge is. They feel prepared, absolutely. I mean, and the, the impetus for that conversation really was when I saw a tweet that you had retweeted, Allison, <laughs> about Mesa County not having a single ICU bed available. And I had this moment of, well, wait a minute. I know that St. Mary's in, in Grand Junction is considered a tier one you know, hospital, partner hospital for Aspen Valley for any wow. kind of overflow patients or, you know, when we do need some, if you've got a patient who requires either a higher level of care or a lot of times just a slightly lower elevation than what Aspen can provide. This right. is apparently a respiratory disease. I know that St. Mary's is a primary partner to receive transport patients from us. And by us, I mean, Aspen Valley Hospital, you know, our area, a community hospital. And so I thought, well, if that's off the table, does that impact our surge plans? Because the reality is, is, you know, AVH has done a supreme job in creating contingency plans for contingency plans, in my opinion, honestly, they have from the outset. Um, it was really amazing to talk to CEO Dave Ressler and see how much technology has come online just in the last few months, even to further streamline those plans. You know, he was talking to me about 
uh, resources that the Colorado Hospital Association, for instance, has online and up and going very, very recently that, you know, he was able to check before our phone call and said he could tell me, yeah, we've got nothing available in Mesa County, but he could tell me exactly how many hospital beds were available and ICU beds were available in every single hospital in the Denver metro area. Wow. If you want um, and so in real time, that's updated and checked twice daily. So, you know, as things are fluctuating and shifting, there, so are the surge plans, but you know, they really are a strong community network of hospitals and everybody really is all hands on deck. And AVH even has said that they are ready and able and willing to receive patients from Meeker or from you know, oh, wow. wherever if, if need be right now, because we have not seen the hospitalization spikes that some of the other areas in the state are seeing right now. So it was an encouraging conversation to have. It was certainly concerning. Um, you know, in reporting on that, I realized that Denver Health has seen its ICU capacity more than once uh, within a few weeks. And so the numbers are really worrying, but they're just on the outskirts of our immediate area. Um, and Dave assured several times that, you know, it's not time to hit the panic button. That doesn't do us any good. Um, but it is time to pay attention because the reality is, is it would not take very many people needing those ICU beds in order to overwhelm our rural community hospitals. So, you know, as we're heading into the season and the county's looking at having visitors sign affidavits and whatnot, um, I think it, the reality is, is, you know, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, if I need to, I'll just get care flighted to Denver. That is probably going to be an option for you, but I don't know. Denver Health be seeing its capacity met more than once in a few weeks. That was really surprising to me. That is not little rural Mesa County that only has so many beds <laughs> to begin with, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I think that my, my hope in writing that article was to calm fears that no, we're still okay, but also for anybody coming in, you know, this is very, very serious and, um, I'm personally confused. I know that our county, as well as a lot of tourism resort, Western Slope counties have wanted to lobby the state and have lobbied the state, basically begging Governor Polis to join the 13 plus other states in this country that require a negative test before you go on with your plans. And he's not doing that. Um, and we are such a tourism driven state. And Curative has a kiosk that's capable of processing up to 500 tests an hour that, you know, right there at DIA. Now, I did see a number that we were anticipating upwards of 50,000 people coming through DIA terminals alone over Thanksgiving weekend. Over Thanksgiving. Per, per day. So that, you know, 500 tests an hour from one little kiosk sounds really impressive until you start to put it in the context of 50,000 people. Um, but still, I, yeah, I just, you throw that I, in the Aspen Picking County Airport, problem solved, right? Problem solved, right? You <laughs> quarantine for your two days until you get your test result negative. Um, but again, to your point, maybe this is a segue. Um, the question on all of these measures is always one of enforcement. Correct. Yeah, I do want to get to that because Matt, you poked at our law enforcement teams again to see what they're going to do about that. But you've both mentioned this affidavit, so I, I don't want that to go by without um, explaining that a little further. So in this new color that we're under, we're, we're asking visitors to sign a piece of paper saying that, that 
what, that they're going to behave, that they are negative. I, I don't quite understand this, um, what that means. And, and again, to the enforcement, what, what it could possibly accomplish. And obviously, you know, the, the first impression that I get is, well, there's been a lot of conversation long before now about how do we get compliance from, from visitors to honor the five commitments to, you know, make sure that you, you do stay quarantined if you are showing any symptoms and you do get a test and you wash your hands and wear a mask and all that good stuff. Um, the only real difference about an affidavit is it's a legal document. Um, so in my head, I'm wondering if they're banking on, okay, well, we don't really know of a way to enforce this in actual application, but people psychologically take legal documents very seriously. So my, my thinking is that maybe by formalizing that into an actual affidavit, instead of just a scout's honor, as it were, <laughs> um, maybe people will, they're just hoping that psychologically people will give more weight, more credence to that, what that signature actually means. Um, but beyond that, I have, I have questions. Mm -hmm. There again was a lot of questions, um, particularly around, I, I think they're quite, how, how invasive do they, do they want to get, you know, in the press release, they sent out some of it. Um, you know, for example, I, I'm reading now, they have to collect contact information for all diners at restaurants. It's not exactly welcoming when you when you go into the, the restaurants and that might be the first thing they ask. So and and on that meeting, they had a lot of the restaurant community there, frankly. And and you know, you had um Jimmy Yeager, I believe it is, of Jimmy's on and he, you know, all the restaurants, um, they were very articulate in that they they wanted to do the right thing. They wanted to be safe, but at the same time, I believe it was um Jimmy Yeager who asked. How do you guarantee that if we shut down that we we can open in 30 days? How, you know, and um, and it was a question, frankly, I don't think anyone could answer. And I I really think that was the question that made them realize, um, you know, we can't guarantee that. And then if anything, you know, the dad is suggesting otherwise. And he said, if you just shut down restaurants, it may leave 700 to a thousand people unemployed right there. So, you know, they're big decisions that they they can't seem to make. <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one is tasked with making an easy decision in this, you know? And there's such resistance to the economic side of this. Like we talked early on about balancing health and health and economics. And, um, I think now there's just no appetite for, for that balance anymore, which puts so much onus on these individual businesses and on individuals, um, to, to parse out their own comfort level. So if restaurants are, you know, had someone made the hard decision and shut down restaurants, um, I wouldn't have to think, well, I'll, I'm maybe I'll eat out tonight, but they're still open at 25%. I'm young, I'm healthy. Maybe I'll just go in, you know, like it's, it's really putting it on individuals. And, and I don't know that individuals who feel comfortable being out in a pandemic are, are making all the best decisions, right? Like if that's your instinct is to still go. Um, and it, it just seems like if you don't have to make the call to shut down the economy, you also don't have to, uh, do any of the band-aids that came out that first round, right? We had $600 a week stimulus checks. We had the city of Aspen paying a third of all of our downtown, um, businesses rents, right? So like, yes, we're going to put this mandate on you, but here's how we're going to help. I think part of the resistance to the, to having any public health mandates 
affect something that's going to affect money is that there's a resistance to, to being that bolster again, um, which feels unfair. It feels unsafe and unfair. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and it's just such a, there, there's the individual psychology too, of just absolute COVID fatigue. I wonder how much of that is coming from, is, is what the city and health board are feeling too, right? They don't want to provide the economic support because coffers are already drained and they ha- that is a whole other can of worms that they have to, they would have to address. But also there was literally picketing in the streets from restaurant workers saying ahead of that health board meeting to the elected officials saying, do not shut us down. And so, you know, they have to answer to that too. So there's, there's a middle ground, but at some point we can't have it both ways, right? If we want to be open, then you have to be willing to give the restaurant the contact information for contact tracing efforts. That's just where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about how that would work. I mean, you're already, you've reduced staff, right? Um, if you, ha- if you can only have 25% capacity and four families are, are hungry at, you know, you're a full restaurant right then. So also what are you, are you going to hire someone else just to come and do all that paperwork? Are you going to have one of the waiters do it? I mean, it's, it's every little thing is going to slow down and make harder and, and make less money for these businesses who at some point you're going to push them and push them, and push them until it literally doesn't equal out. And then they'll self-elect to close. Like, is that the hope here? It's, I think with respect to restaurants, a big concern for a lot of them is, and it goes back to y'all's point earlier, it seems that local officials, no one wants to take the the hard draconian, you know, stance. They all want to kick it down the road to someone else. And what that's doing in effect is you're having unit, you're having counties uh, literally touching one another who are operating under different rules. And I think that is more the really frustrating thing for the business community, where if you have someone like Jimmy Yeager in Aspen, and he's being told by the state, you have to operate at 25% capacity. And then just up the road in Garfield, I don't know if I don't know this yet, but, um, you know, I think we can all uh, assume that the Pitkin County Board of Health and the Garfield County Commissioners, which also serves as their Board of Health, they have very different philosophies. So if you have people commuting when you don't have this one large um, playing field or one large the Tri-County region, even if they're, they all might be in orange, but if, if different restaurants are operating at different things, I, I could see how people from maybe Basalt would go down to Glenwood if it, if it meant less restrictions. I, I could understand how that would present um, issues for some of these business owners. And if you look back at the beginning of the days, there was a lot of people who went to Mesa County to go you know, eat indoors and look at them now, as you point out, you know, they don't have any hospital ICU beds. And um, you know, uh, Mr. Ressler, he was very optimistic in your piece, um, Megan, frankly, and I think you know, he doesn't want to do that panic alarm. Um, but if you look at Pitkin County's data that they sent out today, it says that they have 19 available beds. And if you look at back at the, I think it was two board of health meetings ago, uh, you know, epidemiologist Josh Vance said on Friday the 13th alone, they had 19 new cases. Um, Mm -hmm. He also said in those informal gatherings, I believe the symptoms anecdotally were a lot worse. So it, I think there's a switch here that can flip really quick. And if people don't really start addressing it, and if they don't stop kicking it down the road, they're going to have bigger problems than they ever imagined. 
And Matt, to your point, just on the, just the confusion is so yeah. crazy, right? Like there's a lot of confusion right now. You know, did they get the variance? Is Garfield County 50% versus 25%, even though they're in orange, you know, I live in Carbondale. I work in Aspen. Well, at least I did before we responsibly closed our offices. <laughs> <laughs> Again. So yeah, I mean, there, there is, there's a lot of confusion. And even for people who are in charge of enforcement, there, there are still questions. Well, I mean, that does lead directly then into Matt's story, which was um, now that we're in these these new levels of restriction, um, which do seem mostly to, to be on businesses. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of new individual restrictions um, that, you know, what time businesses close, how many people are in them. But there's nothing like the, the mandatory mask order, which never went away, where people, individuals are changing their behavior. But um, the question is, OK, these are the rules on paper how, what happens if someone has 27% occupancy, right? Like what, um, is, are the cops going to come? Matt, what, what's Pickham County and the Aspen Police Department, what are the Sheriff's Department and Police Department saying they're going to do in this new level? Yeah, they all are basically taking um, the approach of education over enforcement. And I think even Pitkin County Public Health wants to do that. Um, but it was interesting, you know, because when I talked to Bill Lynn yesterday, who's the assistant chief in Aspen, he said over the summer they had 8,000 contacts after they did the mandatory mask zone. Um, but you go down to Snowmass, and their um, chief told me a very different story where they had hardly any contacts or calls. So I think you're starting to see that on more of a micro level, like, you know, Obviously, Snowmass has a lot of visitors too, and you know the mask mandates and all this. But um, you know, it was really interesting when I spoke with Chief Knott down in Basalt because, particularly for these really small departments that have nine, you know, sworn patrolmen, if one of them, two of them catches it, you know, one of, that's that's already ten percent of your your force, you know. And then I immediately thought of that hostage situation in Basalt that happened. You know, if you didn't have all your officers, what would have gone down? You know, I mean, I know they called in help, but it was really um, eye-opening to hear that, you know, that if, if an emergency happened and all your officers may have been exposed, let alone tested, but um, there seems to be this, you know, they have the orange red, but there's this gray zone when it comes to enforcement of just who, who's, and I, and I think the real question is going to come in when, when it's really an egregious standpoint, like uh, Congresswoman-elect Bo, Lauren Boebert, when she allowed rifles shooters, you know, and I, I think that's where you're going to see, are you going to see restaurants who are just going to say, you know what, I'm going to go above 25%. I couldn't care less. And I think um, different sheriffs, different law enforcement, different public health departments, again, it goes back to the question of you know, where do you stand philosophically? And when you don't have one size fits all, you're going to have a lot of different um, colors, caveats, rules. And right now it's 25%. Um, but depending who you ask, it kind of seems like it might be different. One thing that felt so bad about that early on was um, this approach of educate. Uh, so we're not going to be patrolling for um, people who are breaking the rules and get the bad guys. We're going to, you know, if, if, we spot something not going right, we'll tell them that they're doing it wrong, was that that meant all the violations were, were, were 
being telltaled on. And I, and I wish I could think of a word that didn't make that seem like it's the wrong thing to do. Um, but people were being ratted out. Right. So it was like neighbor on neighbor, like, you know, at smuggler park, looking over at the other picnickers and calling the cops and saying, you need to come to the park right now. There's someone here without a mask. And, um, we got really tense. Um, mostly I think that the narrative was locals versus visitors as to who was complying and who wasn't with all these public health orders that's about to come right back up. You know, who's about to hit the ground here is all the visitors. Um, and, and so I, it does feel a little bit like you're passing the buck again on the enforcement. And I, and I get that we've always been a very laid back town as far as um, we, we're, it is not, we're not a heavy criminal justice system where we're trying to get as many people in the jail as possible and get our fines racked up, right? Um, so it's very much in line with the philosophy here. But if you feel unsafe or you see, a Bootsy Bellows type incident where someone is egregiously um, not following the public health rules, then then you as a citizen is, is who takes this on. I mean, you can't fight a pandemic alone as a citizen. It would feel nice to know that other people are still monitoring all that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the bigger point of all these public health orders, I, I think it's really a, a PR campaign through local legislation. I, I think they all they're not dumb. They're smart people. They, they know that they, they can't enforce this. You can't just go knock on somebody's door on Thanksgiving and be like, hey, y'all have more than six people, five people up in here. I need to have some DNA tests. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not going to work. But I think by just putting it in a press release, by putting it on this um, piece of paper, if you will, whether or not they enforce it, it sends this message that, you know, this is serious, but at the same time, on the flip side of that, you could probably make a good argument that the more you legislate, the more you're going to want, you're more, you're going to incentivize people to break the rules. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, again, it's a, it's like a double-edged sword in some ways, um, you know, by talking about it more um, and not being able to enforce it, what, what are we really doing, you know, are, are showing these metrics and explaining what an incidence rate actually means, as opposed to, um, you know, informal gatherings of 10 to five, two households. It's just, I, I don't think these people were elected um, <laughs> with any of this in mind. You bring up that Thanksgiving is two days from now. That is a gathering event nationwide and nationwide people are being told this isn't the year to see your family, right? This isn't the year to have Friendsgiving and have everyone over. Um, I don't think Aspen did a very good job of, of heating that for Halloween, which is not even a bonding holiday, right? You don't need to have a big party and yet people still did. And that's when we saw our spike. So yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And, you know, going back to balancing health versus economy, our economic survival more than ever for a lot of these businesses, if they're allowed to stay open and can do it safely, then this is the time that's their week to do it. Right. Um, you know, when I was talking to Greg Poshman, who's a county commissioner who sits on the health board, and he was talking about, you know, the the latest with that uh, public health meeting and talking to the restaurant community and, you know, the the desire to stay open right now, you know, he likened it to, he said, I think, I feel like we as a community were just given the Stanford marshmallow uh, test of, you know, if you can, you can have one now, or you can wait and have two later. And he said, I feel like we just failed. We just failed the marshmallow test. Um, we're going to stay open through what traditionally used to be our off season and risk, you know, a real, a real shutdown um, at the peak of at the peak of our tourism season. So I don't know, I'm not feeling optimistic. 
one way or the other. I'm, I'm with you, Matt. Like, I, I appreciate being able to have um, low hospitalization rates and, you know, leadership at the hospitals that have surge plans in place. Uh, but at the same time, we're still a rural community and it would not take much to really overwhelm us quickly. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I remember speaking to Commissioner Pushman before that, and he, uh, it, it appeared that he was getting hearing a lot from his constituents, like you were saying, Megan, just about, do we shut down now, you know, but um, in, in, in hopes of having that Christmas economic season. But again, it, it was almost like rolling the dice, you know, because if you do shut down and you have a neighboring county that, or, or even not a neighboring county, or, you know, just for whatever reason, the cases don't, you know, then you're, you're 30 days shut down. Um, and yeah, that's, it's, it's really, and, and I will say that the board of health meeting, although at the end of it, not when you really think about it, not much new came out if these new restrictions aren't going to happen, but, um, or they're not sure when or what they're going to look like exactly. Um, you know, it was good because there, there, I think Megan, you had texted me saying, you know, just how many sheer number of people that were on the call. Mm. And it was, it was, um, it was very heartening to, to hear all these different sectors coming together and really wanting to seem to work together for, for this greater good. And even though, it, you know, that greater good is still not clear at all, um, there, there was a level of care and, and compassion just, just in that meeting, I thought, that was very um, telling, you know, and they are tough decisions, but uh, yeah, it was just like a big conversation that people needed to get something off their chest, but there's still no clear direction, but it did feel like a little bit of a um, relief, I guess. I mean, most communities across the country, talking about shutting down is an insane concept. Right. As you pointed out, Megan, here in Aspen, we do it twice a year on purpose. We have off seasons. Restaurants close their doors, don't pay their employees for six weeks. October is, mm -hmm. October is usually dead, right? Um, November as well until Thanksgiving. And yet we just had the highest number, the highest occupancy October ever, ever. So uh, I have a soapbox about the lumber yard that we're not going to get to um, today. And Matt, you did some good reporting on our elected official salaries. Both of those stories are online at aspendailynews.com. I'm putting off my lumber yard soapbox so I can get on a testing soapbox real quick before we wrap this all up. We, we spoke about contact tracing, right? That's why the, the restaurants would be gathering this information. I don't know whose job it would be to then say, well, this person who tested positive ate at Jimmy's, call everyone who ate there that night. Like, is that even how COVID spread works? Like, how do we know they were infectious then? The, I, the person who's going to go out to a restaurant and infect everyone in the restaurant is an asymptomatic carrier. In my mind, period, period. You are not struggling to breathe and go out for drinks with your friends. It's asymptomatic <laughs> carriers. And so what we need to cut down on is asymptomatic carriers of COVID-19 being exposed to strangers. Those are the people who need to be isolating more than anything. That is why my soapbox has the words on it. Test people who are not symptomatic. We have to be testing non-symptomatic people. And I keep hearing that we're getting new tests in and they keep being for people who have symptoms. And right. it just seems like, man, whether that's COVID-19 or the regular flu or strep throat, if you have symptoms, be a logical person and stay home and don't get other people sick. 
If you get to the point that you need hospitalization, go to the hospital. It's the people who don't have symptoms that we need to find out and they need to be told, but you are still sick and you are still threatening your community. So that's my testing soapbox. I think we're getting closer and closer to the asymptomatic availability, but you know, no one, no one who's struggling to breathe and having massive diarrhea is going out, um, and infecting people shopping. (laughs) No, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, you know, David Bob, the superintendent of Aspen schools and Theron Mulberry, the assistant superintendent made that point at the last school board meeting. You know, they said, we do not have a COVID-19 outbreak. We have a quarantine outbreak. And had it not been for catching two students who were asymptomatic, it very likely could have been a COVID-19 outbreak. So I completely agree with you. I think that this is really one of the largest failings of American federal policy toward containing this virus. Um, when I was speaking to a representative uh, for Curative, the test, uh, the testing company in LA, she was the one who brought it to my attention that it was the CARES Act legislation that mandated in, in legal language that only medically necessary testing could be billed to insurance companies or in turn be um, paid for by the coronavirus relief fund. So there you have it. It trickles all the way down to a local level and you're absolutely right. It's the asymptomatic tourist who has no idea they're a carrier who then goes out to the restaurant and goes shopping or whatever. Um, But thanks to federal policy, they couldn't bill their insurance company. And so when we get these community testing sites on board now, you know, they're hoping that through the end of the year with some of the leftover unspent CARES Act money, right, that wasn't managed well, because again, from the feds, which goes to the states, which goes to the counties, there hasn't been clear direction. So now we've got all this unspent money. uh, And so now hopefully we're able to utilize that to get some asymptomatic broader based testing, You'd hope that with more testing, that's individuals take on like the contact tracing too. Like if you find out, then, then you call your people. It's, so to wrap up the affidavit question, if you, I guess the one other thing is that if somehow that contact tracing does pinpoint you as the person who was sick and not the two other tables who were at meat and cheese, <laughs> you were the one who was sick and you got other members of the public sick and you signed an affidavit saying you wouldn't do that, then there's like enforceable action. Then you can, what, I don't know, a fine or you'd go to jail because you promised you wouldn't do it and then you did it. Like that, I think the the tandem of the affidavit with contact tracing, it's gonna be a, here's how we get you after you've already fucked up instead of here's how we are keeping you from fucking up. Yeah, there's just so many questions, right? Because at least my understanding for right now, I guess we'll see what comes of this meeting this afternoon where they flesh out the details of what will be contained in the magical affidavit. But right now the affidavit is, I promise in a legal sense to follow the five commitments of containment. So, okay, I got people sick, but I I was asymptomatic. I didn't know. And I did wash my hands, I promise, <laughs> right? So it's- They, they yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> I do think it's going to be a big week. So I appreciate you both coming in and, and setting up the stage a little bit. We'll see if that's a Black Friday or Red Friday. We'll see how uh, remote people stay on Thanksgiving and we'll see what hitting the slopes is like tomorrow on opening day. Matthew Bennett, make it tack it. Thank you both so much for joining me on the upload. Thanks so much, Allison. Thanks, so. though.
Thanks for listening to The Upload. I'm your host and producer, Alison Bektesh. You can subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Do you want to be on the show? Do you have thoughts you want to pass along? You can write to me at upload at aspendailynews.com. A big thanks to Matthew Bennett and Megan Tackett for being on the show today. This is the Upload Podcast from the Aspen Daily News. Listen, discuss, decide, and stay healthy.